0: Well, I'm the director of the Center for Trade Policy Studies here at the Cato Institute, and we are privileged today to welcome an important member of President Bush's cabinet uh, to deliver a major address on a topic uh, that is hotter than today's weather. Uh, What to do about illegal immigration, the importance of immigration to the U.S. economy. Our featured speaker today is the Honorable Carlos Gutierrez, uh, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. Secretary Gutierrez is superbly qualified to speak on this topic. Not only is he a member of the President's inner circle of economic advisors, but he's also an immigrant himself and the former chief executive officer of a major U.S. employer, the Kellogg Company. Before I introduce the Secretary, though, I wanted to take just a few minutes, a minute or two, to briefly explain how we got into this uh, predicament of illegal immigration and why I believe the Bush administration and, and the Secretary are on the right track in urging Congress to pass a comprehensive immigration reform plan. Not merely trying to enforce our existing dysfunctional immigration laws. Throughout American history, immigrants have blessed our society with hard work, initiative, and devotion to faith and family. The same is true today. Immigrants give the United States a demographic and economic edge in the global economy. They strengthen our economy by adding to the flexibility and the dynamism of our workforce. And immigration is helping America avoid uh, the demographic implosion that is haunting a lot of developed countries. President Bush and Secretary Gutierrez, I believe, deserve great credit for recognizing the important role that immigrants play in our economy. Immigrants fill niches in the labor market at the high end, but also at the lower end of the skill spectrum. The U.S. economy continues to create hundreds of thousands of jobs a year that require relatively low skills. Most of the jobs created are in the middle and the upper ranges of the skill spectrum, but we are creating hundreds of thousands of jobs each year that require uh, relatively few skills in important sectors such as retail, uh, construction, food preparation, cleaning, and other services. Meanwhile, the supply of Americans available to fill those jobs, willing and happy to fill those jobs, continues to shrink. The baby boomers are getting older. I can vouch for that. We're getting better educated, uh, and yet we have this mismatch, this structural mismatch. And yet, here's the rub. Our immigration system has no legal channel for a sufficient number of workers to come into the country in a safe, orderly, legal way to fill those jobs, even temporarily. The result is predictable. It's large-scale illegal immigration. We've tried enforcing existing law, and it has failed. Uh, Since the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986, we have ramped up border enforcement spending tenfold. The number of hours agents spend on the border is eight times uh, what it was back then, and it has increased significantly under President Bush. We built walls for miles into the desert. We have raided hundreds of U.S. companies and arrested thousands of workers uh, in a futile attempt to enforce what is, I believe, an unenforceable law in essence. Today, the illegal population is 12 million and it continues to grow. Ever since the release of our study, Willing Workers Fixing the Problem of Illegal Mexican Migration to the United States in 2002, we have argued at the Center for Trade Policy Studies that any solution to illegal immigration must include opening a channel for peaceful, hardworking people from Mexico and other countries uh, to enter the United States legally to meet the demands of our growing economy. An enforcement-only approach is doomed to fail. It will waste billions of dollars, drive up smuggling fees, and leave hundreds more dead bodies uh, at the border while ignoring the legitimate needs of American employers and their customers. Well, our speaker today brings an important and compelling perspective on immigration reform. It is my privilege now to introduce the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Carlos Gutierrez. Secretary Gutierrez joined the Bush administration in 2005 after a 30-year career at the Kellogg Company. Uh, It's a great story. He began as a sales representative in Mexico selling uh, zucaritas, did I pronounce that right, also known as frosted flakes, uh, and other goods out of a truck to small mom-and-pop grocery stores. He rose through the ranks of the company to become president and chief executive officer in 1999, the youngest CEO in the 100-year history of the company. As secretary of commerce, he oversees a diverse agency with 39,000 employees and a $6.4 billion budget, but we can talk about that at another forum. he is a core member of the President's economic team. Born in Havana, Cuba, Secretary Gutierrez came to the United States with his family as a young boy in 1960, fleeing uh, Castro, and he's going to say a few words about developments in Cuba in a moment. He later studied business administration at the Monterey Institute of Technology in Mexico. He and his wife, Adelia, have three children, Carlos, Erica, and Karina. Please join me in welcoming the Honorable Carlos Gutierrez.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And, Dan, thank you for that very kind introduction. I appreciate the opportunity very much to speak here at the Cato Institute. Uh, This institute is known for supporting individual liberty and free markets, among other important topics. And uh, I understand you also encourage intelligent debate on important issues of our day. And I appreciate that very much, and I appreciate uh, your efforts to promote a robust and competitive economy driven by free enterprise principles. So thank you for everything you do. And before I get on to the main topic, uh, I'd like to talk for a moment about Cuba since it has been in the news uh, since last night. At a time of great uncertainty, we want to let the people of Cuba know that we affirm our commitment, when a transition government committed to democracy is in place, we will provide aid in areas such as food and medicine, economic recovery, and free and fair elections. The people of Cuba do have a choice, economic and political freedom and opportunity, or more political repression and economic suffering under the current regime, regardless of who is in charge. We pledge to help them attain political and economic liberty. We pledge to extend a hand of friendship and support as they build a democratic government a strong economy, and a brighter tomorrow for families and their country. We pledge to discourage third parties from obstructing the will of the Cuban people. And I'd like to be very, very clear on this next point. The United States and our citizens posed no threat to the security or the homes of the Cuban people. President Bush recognizes that Cuba belongs to the Cuban people and that the future of Cuba is in the hands of Cubans. And we continue to be concerned about the importance of the Cuban people observing safe, orderly, and legal plans for migration. Now, let's talk about immigration. I believe that the topic of immigration is probably the domestic social issue of our time, and one that is key to the future of our economy. America has dealt with difficult immigration issues in the past. There have been large waves of of immigrants from Asia, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, throughout our history. In fact, proportionately, we have fewer foreign-born people living in the U.S. today than we did in 1890. In 1890, almost 15% of our population was foreign-born. Interestingly, in 2004, it's 12%. So, the challenges of immigration are not new for America, and I believe that they can create tremendous, tremendous opportunities for our country. We are competing today in a global economy. Many countries, including Germany, China, and Japan, will face declining populations in the future. All major industrialized economies are experiencing substantial growth in their populations age 65 and over. This is a problem we see in virtually every single industrialized economy. By 2025, the median age of German citizens will increase from 39 to 50 years old. Japan will also see a 46% growth in this age group by 2020. The U.S. will also see our median age grow from 34 to 43, and every 60 seconds, a baby boomer turns 60. But what separates us from other nations is our ability to assimilate immigrants and incorporate them into our workforce. From 2000 to 2004, the U.S. Census Bureau estimates that total U.S. population grew more than 12 million by 12 million people. Of that 12 million people that we grew, 44 percent of that growth resulted from immigration. We have an incredible advantage we can stand out from the rest of the pack by using our well-honed skills from 230 years of assimilating immigrants. But to address the challenge of illegal immigration and take advantage of the opportunities and really have it give us a competitive advantage versus the rest of the world, we need to show leadership now more than ever. We need to face reality. And we need to deal with immigration as it is, not as we wish it were. We need to work through the issues in a thoughtful manner and avoid letting emotion take over the debate. That may well be our single biggest challenge. I'm encouraged that we're starting to reach some consensus. recently. More than 500 of our nation's top economists sent a letter to President Bush and all members of Congress. These economists, with very diverse political views, stated unequivocally that immigration has been a net gain for America. And two-thirds of American voters say they support bills that include a temporary worker program or a path to legalization rather than one that focuses solely on border security. President Bush's vision for comprehensive immigration reform protects our borders. Our immigration system cannot work if we don't control our borders. And I think everyone pretty much agrees with that. President Bush's vision also recognizes the needs of a growing economy. Our economy is growing faster today than any other large industrialized nation. The reality is that we have jobs today that American citizens either aren't willing to do or aren't available to do. Our unemployment rate is below the average of the past four decades. I continually hear from industries that are having difficulty finding enough workers. We need sources of labor from other countries to fill jobs that simply are not getting filled. The President's proposal upholds our values. We are both a nation of laws and a nation of immigrants, and we can be both. Priority number one in the President's comprehensive proposal is securing our borders. The President has proposed increasing the number of border patrol agents from 12,000 to 18,000, increasing the amount of technology we have at the border so we can know who is coming through, and improving processes to become more efficient. In May, President Bush committed 6,000 National Guard troops to our southwest border states. This week, we will have 6,000 National Guard members supporting Border Patrol agents across our borders as promised. The Guard's efforts are already making a positive difference. It has also helped that the Department of Homeland Security has stopped the practice of catch and release with every population except for one, and instead is using catch and remove. Already the number of captured illegal immigrants has fallen by 45% since spring, as fewer crossings are attempted during a normally high volume season. And there's been a 7% drop in immigrant deaths in the desert compared with last year. Clearly, the message is out that we have stepped up security at our border. One of the best ways to secure our borders is to have immigration enforcement inside of the country in the interior of the country. And this is something that we all need to understand. And sometimes this insight gets lost in the immigration debate. We need effective interior enforcement, and that just may be the best way to secure our borders. Clearly, our system needs to be fixed. We have an underground industry built on producing false documentation for illegal workers. Employers have a hard time helping enforce the law because they're not sure what documents they should require. A Government Accountability Office report last year found that document fraud and a large number of documents acceptable for providing work eligibility have caused great confusion among employers. The rules must be clear enough to hold businesses accountable for hiring people with the proper documentation. With comprehensive reform, we will ensure that businesses have the tools they need to do this and that we can hold them accountable. That's why we need a temporary workers program. It would create a legal means for workers to enter the United States for a limited period of time. And we need a biometric card identification system. We have the technology today to quickly and effectively use a person's unique characteristics, such as a fingerprint, to verify their immigration status. And I happen to have a copy here or a, a, uh, an example of a biometric card uh, with someone's fingerprints on it. This is just uh, used for example, it's, uh, it's made out to test specimen. But here's the idea, it's as easy as this. Fingerprint on the front, this cannot be forged, it cannot be tampered. And when you know that this is the documentation that people should be looking for, an employer should demand this, this specific card. And over time, over time it will become very unlikely that people will risk their lives coming across the border illegally if it is well known that unless you have this card you will not find a job. That is one of the most consequential things we can do to make our borders more secure. And it demonstrates the wisdom of comprehensive immigration reform. Everyone agrees that we have to put more pressure on the border. But what we need to understand is that we need to do more than just control the border. And one of the single biggest things we can do is to provide temporary workers permit with the technology that we have available today. The other reality that we must confront is that we have 12 million people who are in the country without the proper documentation. This issue will not be resolved by ignoring it or waiting longer to confront it. It's not going to go away if we ignore it. And the longer we wait to face up to this issue, the more complicated it will get and the more difficult the solution will be. Think about the task of deporting 12 million individuals what what are we going to do round them up put them on buses airplanes and send them someplace Uh, is that something that we would actually do as a country can you see us looking back 20 30 years from now how would we feel about that period of time when we rounded up 12 million people broke up families and just booted them out of the country As the President has said, it would not be wise, it would not be practical, it would not be humane, and frankly, it would not be American. It would require separating parents from their 3 million American-born children. These 12 million uh, undocumented workers or undocumented immigrants who are in the country have 3 million U.S.-born children who happen to be U.S. citizens. I've heard the question asked, what would you do about the children? And some say, well, you know, the children can decide. The children can decide if they go with their parents or if they stay here. It's a very simple thing to say. A lot of these kids don't know any other country but the U.S. They play Little League at school. They're in part of the school play. They may not even know that their parents don't have the right documentation to be here. You can't just say, let the kids decide, and have them follow their parents. If not, they can just stay. Uh, Can you imagine that? That is not a solution. It is an extreme mass deportation. Mass deportation is an extreme, and we have learned as a country that the right solution is rarely found in the extremes. It is somewhere in the middle. So, mass deportation is one extreme. The other extreme is amnesty. And the dictionary defines amnesty as an unconditional pardon, obliterating all memory of the offense. The president does not support amnesty, and it is not accurate or fair to call his solution amnesty. The president has never proposed amnesty. The president's plan is not amnesty, and it's not accurate to call it amnesty. We're talking about having a hard-earned path to legalization, which would require people waiting in line to – to wait their turn for legalization, and that can take many, many years. Uh, Paying fines, paying taxes, learning English, undergoing a criminal background check, having a job, there is no guarantee and there is no uh, certainty of legalization. Some argue that we are simply repeating the mistakes of the Immigration Reform and Control Act which passed Congress in 1986. And I want to make it perfectly clear that the President's proposal addresses the shortcomings of the 1986 law and we're taking the learnings from that experience and applying them to the proposal. The 1986 law missed the importance of strengthening border security. The president has deployed the National Guard and is doubling the number of border agents. The 1986 law didn't address what draws illegal immigrants to cross our borders. The fact that people are coming here to work. So it didn't provide a temporary workers program to allow those who want to come and work but also want to return to their country uh, and and enable them to do so. It didn't provide that opportunity to come for a while and then go back home with your hard-earned money. And it did not provide a legal means to address the needs of American businesses. That's why we are where we are today. Today we have the technology that was not available in 1986 and that's the biometric card that I just showed you. With biometric cards and the basic pilot system, we can hold employers accountable to verify their worker status. The 1986 law was not followed by any real enforcement. In contrast, the president is calling for more criminal sanctions instead of just administrative fines, and that's a very, very important distinction and the 1986 law provided amnesty for 3 million illegal immigrants. As I said, the president opposes amnesty and believes people must earn legalization. Earlier this month, 33 uh, conservative leaders wrote, the best way, the only way to realize President Reagan's vision Because the 1986 law was done under President Reagan. The best way to realize President Reagan's vision is through comprehensive immigration reform legislation. The issues of illegal immigration are far too complex to assume that they can be solved with one easy action, or they can be solved with a one word, or they can be solved by you know, saying the right applause line in a 10 second soundbite. It is a complex issue and it requires people to sit down, think through it, work through it, and work out the details. We need leadership and we need a reasonable compromise in the middle. We need to be talking about the right mix of immigration reform that addresses all the issues and acknowledges that the extremes are not viable. As long as we continue to talk about the extremes, and as long as people continue to adopt a position that is on one of the extremes, we're not going to make any progress. Just last week, Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson and Representative Mike Pence offered an intriguing proposal. It provides for stronger border security, while also recognizing our economy's needs for temporary workers. The proposal acknowledges that we must secure our borders to secure our nation, and the President has already taken bold steps in this direction. Obviously, there are many details to be worked out, and this is all about details. This is not about a 30,000-foot view what's going to make the difference. What we learned in 1986 that what's going to make the difference is working through the details and then executing those details flawlessly. That's what's going to make the difference, not continuing to talk about the issue. Obviously, we need to work out a lot of things. I met with Senator Hutchinson and Congressman Pence, and they both believe that their proposal is a starting point. A starting points so that discussions can take place and we encourage the House and the Senate to continue talking and to continue this rational approach to finding solutions. The other point that President Bush makes is that we are a nation of immigrants. And immigrants today have helped this country great, be great. Immigrants have really built this country and immigrants have made the U.S. the greatest country in the world. All of us here today, unless you are Native American, are immigrants or descendants of immigrants. So it wouldn't be right to assume or to say that immigration was fine when our parents came over or our grandparents came over but it's no longer fine. We were a nation of immigrants for our first 230 years, but somehow, in the future, we're just going to cut that off. Uh, f- that has; those voices have been heard in our past before. That philosophy has been prevalent in many debates throughout our history. Fortunately, very fortunately, wisdom. And tolerance has always prevailed. I'll give you my own personal perspective. I came to this country in 1960 from Havana, Cuba. I was six years old back then. On January 1966, I formally became a U.S. citizen. To this day, my U.S. passport is my most valued material possession. I'm extremely grateful that people encouraged me and even pushed me to learn the language and to be part of society and to to integrate into society and to assimilate as much as possible. I'm very grateful that people didn't let me off the hook and that people didn't tell me that I didn't need to learn English. And I think we are doing people a disservice if we tell them that they can be successful in this country without learning English. That's all part of comprehensive reform. And as the President has said, if you learn English, you can go from cleaning an office to running an office. It is the ticket to a better future. And that needs to be said. It needs to be recognized. I'm also extremely thankful for the opportunities that this country has given to me. This country has been very good to me, and I believe that immigrants today just want an opportunity. That is all that immigrants have asked for, is an opportunity, not a handout, um, not a, uh, a free ticket, just simply an opportunity for a better life. It is a false choice to think that the immigration debate is a battle between America becoming a welcoming society or being a nation of laws. It's also a false choice to think that this is all about either you believe in controlling the border or you believe in a temporary workers program. Actually, we need to do both. And doing one without the other is insufficient. And doing one without the other will find us in a same position in a similar uh, problem in two or three or four years, so we need to solve the problem comprehensively now. I ask you to commit yourself to comprehensive immigration reform, because it is the only way to solve our immigration challenges and turn them into opportunities. We all need to contribute to the solution. And I would hope that we're all involved in trying to find a solution. Comprehensive immigration reform will make our country stronger. And I am convinced that future generations will be proud of what we did during our time. I thank you for your attention. I thank you for your interest in the subject. And God bless you. Thank you very much.
0: Take a few questions. If you want to just stand at the podium and the panel, just explain. The Secretary has generously agreed to take a few questions before he has to go off to his uh, next appointment. If you would raise your hand, the Secretary will indicate to you they will wait for the microphone to come down. Please identify yourself and your affiliation and please uh, get right to the point just to ask a question and sit down so the Secretary can take as many questions as possible. Uh, yes, sir. Mr. Secretary.
2: Hi, I'm Bronson Lee. I used to work for you until about three months ago at Commerce and in the International Trade Administration where we worked on free trade agreements. Right. And I know you yourself don't negotiate those, but I can't help thinking that, especially when we're talking about NAFTA and the Central American Free Trade Agreement and the quantity of good, hard-working people that come from those com- countries, such as Mexico, El Salvador, uh, Nicaragua, et cetera, Dominican Republic, and the flows of of money that go to and from those countries, that it seems like that would be another way to attack this. We've worked on flows of ideas through intellectual property protection, we've worked on flows of capital and goods, but what's missing is that, that flow of people, and I wonder how that might work.
1: Yeah, there's, there's no question that uh, par, part of the solution is to ensure that all of the countries in our hemisphere are doing everything they can to reform their economy and to grow as fast as they can and to create jobs. Uh, the, the other beauty of, of comprehensive immigration reform, and I think this is what you're getting at, is that it establishes an orderly way to, uh, to have access to labor that is in our hemisphere, an orderly and legal way to have access to labor, which is one more advantage that we can have as a hemisphere uh, if we Uh, solve the issue of comprehensive immigration reform. With comprehensive immigration reform, uh, we actually have the best of both worlds. We have access to a labor pool uh, not just in our country but a labor pool in other parts of the hemisphere and very importantly to enable us to get jobs filled that were not getting filled. You know, one of the things i like to remind people is our, our economy today is growing at 3.5%. Uh, we're, we're growing probably at more than twice the rate as the European Union. If we weren't growing at this rate, if we didn't have a growing economy, we wouldn't be talking about immigration. So it's part of our opportunity. It's part of what we need to do to continue to grow the economy. And I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank you. Yes, sir.
2: Uh, I'm Jonathan Tang with the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Mr. Secretary, how are you? Um, I had a question regarding uh, the 12 million or so illegal immigrants that are currently in the nation you mentioned uh, that the administration certainly doesn't want to provide amnesty at the same time they don't want to deport them what I am curious to know is if um, the administration's proposition of a biometric identification card is implemented do you propose um, are these 12 million supposed to have access to this card while they're waiting for uh, a path to citizenship or would they be denied that right?
1: Well, that's exactly – it's a great question, and that's exactly the type of question that we would like to see answered in a comprehensive plan. When can people apply for this card? Um, Who can apply for citizenship? When do they apply for citizenship? Can this card be renewed? Where do they get this card? Uh, my sense is that not everyone wants citizenship. That some people would just like to work long enough and go back to their home country, their hometown, and be able to open up a business or do something for their family. Uh, Today, the assumption is everyone wants citizenship because everyone is in the shadows. Everyone's afraid of coming out. So, Uh, Not only do we not know uh, how many immigrants are in our country, we don't know who they are because we haven't provided a system that just enables them to come out from the shadows, register, do it legally, and then become part of society. So all those issues, all those details, that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed very quickly uh, because in the meantime, what we're seeing is local laws being established, uh, state laws being established, and that can very quickly become very dysfunctional if you project that out on a national level. So we need to get to work on a comprehensive plan as quickly as possible. Thank you. Yes. Is it?
0: What is your suggestion for employers whose uh, employment... Uh, Needs or desires does not fit in with uh, current law.
1: Well, that, that's uh, that's exactly the the trap that we find ourselves in. I don't think we should put our businesses in that predicament, where they have to choose between going out of business or hiring someone when they're not sure that the paperwork is all there. Today, they're asking for paperwork. They get the paperwork. They have to assume it's in, in order, even though it could be documents that are forged or that you know, are, not, are not real. Um, but we can't expect them to be immigration detectives. So they take the documentation. The documentation looks fine. Uh, but we we need to be careful that we don't put our businesses in a position where they're going to go out of business if we don't give them a program to be able to hire workers legally. Every business I've talked to just asks for the rules. They want to know what the rules are. Uh, they, they want to know how they can be on the side of the law. But... Uh, there is a, a real danger here that if, unless we provide a, a means to comprehensive immigration reform and some sort of a temporary workers permit and a means to legalization, that we're going to see a lot of businesses go out of business, and that's going to have an impact on our economy. Yes, sir. Sorry, there was uh
2: Teddy Davis, ABC News. Uh, Mr. Secretary, in your remarks on Cuba, you made reference to the Bush administration's concern about third parties potentially obstructing the will of the Cuban people. Would you be kind enough to elaborate on that? Which third parties are, is the Bush administration concerned about obstructing the will of the Cuban people?
1: Well, what, what we are concerned about is that the Cuban people be given the opportunity to design their future and to design their destiny. And we want to ensure that it's clear to everyone that Cubans are the ones who are in charge of the future of Cuba. So whatever third party needs to have that clarified, we believe it should be clarified, that there should not be any... um, manipulation going on in Cuba, that it should be left to the Cubans, and we believe that we owe it to them to uh, to help them be in charge of their own future. Yes, sir.
2: Mr. Secretary, Sidney Weintraub from the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Would temporary workers be tied to a specific employer?
1: That's a good question, and uh, the the simple answer is no, because one of the concerns is that if you're tied to an employer, you're you're essentially uh, it can be viewed as belonging to an employer or or owning your career and your life to an employer. Uh, so I would hope, and again, this is, you know, we, we have to design the plan, and it's a detail. And But, but I, I would hope that when we design a plan that we can allow uh, temporary workers to have a certain amount of mobility uh, after they've been in the country. That would have to, obviously, they'd have to register, and they'd have to let somebody know, and it would have to be done in an orderly fashion. But I haven't heard... Um, anyone suggest that they should be working forever and ever for just one employer.
0: Mr. Secretary, can I just just make a point? We had a temporary worker program in the 50s and 60s called the Bracero program, and we can learn a a negative lesson from that and a a positive lesson. The negative lesson is that that program did tie the workers to specific employers, typically farmers uh, in the southwest. And just as the Secretary said, it it opened up the workers to uh, to abuse and a certain measure of exploitation. The best protection workers have is the freedom to go from one job to another, from one sector to another. So uh, that's a negative lesson not to repeat from the Bracero Program. The positive lesson is during the early 1950s, uh, Washington was having a discussion very similar to this. We had widespread illegal immigration across the border, uh, a million apprehensions a year of people coming in illegally, President Eisenhower worked with Congress to dramatically increase the number of visas under that program, and illegal immigration dropped by 95 percent. So the administration is on very solid uh, historical grounds in advocating uh, an expanded uh, creation and expansion of a temporary worker program to, among other things, combat illegal immigration. Sorry, I couldn't resist. We got
1: uh, great. Thank you. Thank you, I think we have time for a couple more. You, this gentleman here has had his hand up, and this gentleman will go over. Like, yes.
2: Edward Roder from Sunshine Press, Mr. Secretary. You talked about how whatever plan you come up with, and it seems kind of late to be still coming up with it, that it would have to be executing flawlessly. How are the American people to have confidence That the administration that has executed the war in Iraq and the recovery efforts after the Hurricane Katrina would be able to execute flawlessly a plan that's of a different kind than anything that's ever been tried before.
1: Well, we're we're looking to the future, and uh, there are some very uh, experienced, skilled people in the administration who understand how to uh, put together this kind of a plan. I've heard of some plans actually that uh, tap into uh, resources in the private sector. Uh, So this will be executed, it will be executed extremely uh, effectively. And as I mentioned before, that designing a plan is only a small part of success here. The execution is what's going to make a difference. And I, I have no, no question that uh, the administration and uh, the American people, because this is an execution that's going to require the whole country. We're, we're talking about employers. We're talking about the government. We're talking about citizens. That the administration and the American people can execute this very, very well. I have no doubt of that. Thank you,
2: Mr. Secretary. My name is David Kahn, and uh, several years ago I too worked at Commerce and Export Administration, so welcome. Uh, My question is a follow-up on the identification cards. It sounds like they're a great idea for the temporary worker program, but the vast majority of job applicants will not be in that program, will not have such a card. So we're back to the same documentation that's subject to Uh, forgery and fraud that we have now, birth certificates, whatever it might be. And my concern is that with the emphasis on these cards, uh, there may be uh, hesitancy on the part of uh, potential employers to hire particularly uh, Hispanic Americans who do not have such a card uh, for fear that the employer then will uh, be sanctioned for not properly policing the same fraudulent documents that we have now. And I wonder how we're going to handle the vast bulk of job applicants.
1: We, we have today, we have a vast number of records uh, in the country. We, we have ways of verifying Social Security numbers. Um, and, and we have a very good national verification system, which is getting better and better. We believe that can be put to use to verify those who are today uh, American citizens or those who have a green card. Um, th- the important thing is to focus on getting the 6 million or the 8 million right. And I, I don't believe we need to change uh, the system for 200 million people. Because we're getting a system to work for 12 million people, and, and we believe that we can do that, um, and have a verification system that works for everyone else, which uh, is also needed today to, to, to also verify a simple document such as a social security card. So we 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 can have we can have both systems work with the information we have today. Yes, uh, I said I said one more. Okay, one more question. This will
0: be the last question. Yes. Uh ling Greeny from Amherst Select Board, Massachusetts. I have one question for you, Secretary. That is, um, if when the economy uh, goes sour, say we have uh, instead of 3.5% growth rate, we have one and a half... And if the unemployment, unemployment rate goes up instead of the current 4 percent, go up to, say, 8 percent, in that circumstance, what's the national uh, immigration policy would be if you already put a good comprehensive one here on the table? And what's next? Thank you.
1: Well, uh, first of all, what I should say is we have to work hard and ensure that we put the policies in place to continue to grow. And we believe that this economy has everything – It needs to continue to grow as long as we keep taxes low, as long as we have a policy that encourages uh, free enterprise and capital investment and free trade. Um, In the event that some companies are faced with a disruption, the marketplace will have to take over. And if you have a temporary workers' permit and you no longer have a job in this country, then I'm sure that it will be the marketplace that drives that person to go back home to look for a slot. Again, the reason that we have the immigrants here today is because there are jobs that aren't getting filled. If those jobs are no longer going to get filled, uh, then I believe we're – the marketplace will take care of itself, and there will be a, um, a a different allocation of labor. And that will happen in a very natural way, the way it's happened today.
0: Well, please join me in thanking the Secretary for his <clears throat>